The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Despite his claims that the Russia investigation is a witch hunt, President Trump has maintained that he would be willing to sit down for an interview with special counsel Robert Mueller, speaking about it earlier this year. I would love to speak. I would love to. Nobody wants to speak more than me. In fact, against my lawyers, because most lawyers, they never speak on anything. I would love to speak. Now, in an interview with Associated Press, Trump's lead lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, did say that Trump will not answer federal investigators' questions in person or even in writing about whether he tried to block the probe into Russian interference in the 2016 election. But about a half an hour ago on Air Force One, Trump again said he's open to a Mueller Q&A under the right circumstances. Joining me is William Banks, professor at Syracuse University Law School. So, Bill, unless you can follow the bouncing ball, you can't really keep track of what the what the president and and his attorney are saying about this. But let's talk about written questions. That seems to be the easier of solutions because Trump's lawyers would obviously draft any written answers. It is, and and I imagine that's certainly his lawyers are pushing hard in that direction, both with the Mueller team. And in their conversations with the president, we, we know the president, however, is inclined not only to disregard his lawyer's advice on many occasions, but he likes to talk. Um, so I, I can imagine an interview where he agrees to speak, and then it's a question of, you know, how careful he is and uh, what his memory is like. Uh, and whether he's entirely truthful. So why would Giuliani be ruling out, in his latest pronouncement, be ruling out written questions and answers? Yeah, I think it's a matter of internal discussions among the lawyers in the White House. There's probably debate about whether they should uh, try to just forestall the effort to have an interview at all or instead uh, compromise. So oral or written, I think, is, is part of the compromise uh, situation. In the end, I think, you know, if if Mueller continues to push hard for an interview with the president, he's, he's likely to get it. We know that he could probably force it uh, through, uh, through a grand jury. He could probably uh, subpoena Trump uh, and force him to appear. That's, where, that's the way it started between Ken Starr and Bill Clinton. Uh, 20 years ago, and then they negotiated settlement, and the president did have an interview in the White House. Uh, it wasn't particularly successful. It was uh, it was uh, more of a of a, of a media uh, show than anything else, and it didn't really impact the eventual proceedings of impeachment against Clinton. So. Mueller, what is Mueller's, the advantage to Mueller in allowing written answers where he doesn't get to, you know, test the president's memory and see his demeanor? 
Well, it's not as good uh, as uh, as an interview, that's for sure. But, you know, we have to remember that Mueller has many sources to draw on here to uh, issue his final report or to take whatever ever, uh, other additional steps he might want to take. He's got uh, interviews of, what, two dozen or more other witnesses who are involved in the administration who had close knowledge uh, both of the, the Russia aspect and of the Comey firing. And it's going to be the Comey firing and, and potential obstruction, I think, that the, the lawyers are advising the president to avoid. They don't want to get him in with the, what Mr. Giuliani's called the perjury trap. And, you know, that's that's good advice. So let's turn now to the anonymous op-ed. President Trump just said that he wants Attorney General Jeff Sessions to investigate the author of the anonymous op-ed. He said, I think it's national security. I would say Jeff should be investigating who the author of that piece is because I really believe it is national security. So is an investigation by the Justice Department in order here? Well, I don't think so. Uh, You know, this is one of those uh, things that, you know, the president is... uh, He's a very smart man, and he's using this again to obscure obscure the underlying difficulties that he's in because of the uh, Mueller investigation. You know, the the op-ed was an extraordinary uh, uh, event for sure, uh, extraordinary that it exists and extraordinary that it was published anonymously by the New York Times. But it's not a national security issue. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, as uh, as several people have commented in the last couple of days, uh, you know, there's dissent and discussion inside the uh, administration uh, all the time, not just the Trump administration, every administration government is making sausage in the executive branch in the same way that uh, that the Congress makes sausage in, in trying to draft legislation. So I think this is this will blow over. Uh, in the same way that so much uh, it has blown over in the Trump administration. And again, he's uh, using it very cleverly, I think, to try to distract us from other issues. Before it blows over, let me ask you another question about it. He also said on Air Force One again that his administration is looking into taking legal action against the Times for publishing the article. Is there any kind of legal action you could imagine against the Times for publishing an op-ed? No, is the short answer. There's an absolute First Amendment right to publish. There's no such thing as a prior restraint. There's, the you know, the, as the president himself has admitted on various occasions, uh, the, the libel laws in this country, as he says, are, are very uh, uh, favorable to the speaker or the writer, as they well should be. That's our whole tradition in our history in the United States. It would be, I think, Uh, the core freedom that neither the New York Times or any of us would be willing to give up. It's obvious that not only the op-ed, but the publication of uh, the book by Bob Woodward is weighing on the president, and it hasn't even really come out yet. But he also said today that if Gary Cohen took those papers off his desk, he'll never speak to him again. I mean, I don't... I don't know what to make of his reaction to the Woodward book, because as you said, things happen. You know, there are people inside White Houses that talk all the time and say not nice things about presidents. 
That's right. And, you know, it's not Mr. Trump who's uh, special in this case. That's been true probably of every president in our history uh, for those who work for him and, and try to shape policy that eventually gets made by the executive branch. So I think, yes, the, the Woodward book is uh, is powerful because he's such a credible source and such a you know, highly regarded journalist uh, with a long, distinguished record. So uh, the his sources, some of whom will... Uh, identify themselves and others won't, I, I think, have a great deal more credibility, say, than the, the book that was published last winter or in the winter of 17. <clears throat> so, you know, again, uh, the president has reason to be concerned about the releases, but there, there isn't anything he can do about them. All right. Thanks so much, Bill, as always. That's William Banks. He's a professor at Syracuse University Law School. Today is the fourth and final day of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings on Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. In two days of questioning, Kavanaugh refused to answer pointed questions on a host of subjects ranging from abortion to presidential powers, always refusing to answer any questions pertaining to President Trump. Here's Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal asking him about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is not political. This is about Justice Ginsburg. Do you believe that her, quote, mind is shot? End quote. Senator, uh, respectfully, you're asking me to, after having read those comments, you're asking me to comment on something another person said, and I'm not going to do that. Joining me is Greg Storr, Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter who has been watching just about every minute of these hearings. Right, Greg? As much as I, I could. Okay, so I have to say that that exchange with Blumenthal surprised me, even though I had heard you know, much of what uh, Judge Kavanaugh said, why would a nominee refuse to say that an icon on the court has not lost it? Well, Judge Kavanaugh clearly was trying to stay as far away as he could from political controversies. And even though that was about a future colleague, uh, that was clearly a, a comment. Had he been critical of what uh, President Trump said, that was a comment that was going to be used for political purposes, uh, and, and he wanted to stay away from that. He didn't need to. This was a hearing where – uh, you know, really his main goal was to avoid making mistakes, and that was an area that potentially could have been a mistake for him. Now, it seemed as if he went even further than Neil Gorsuch did in his nomination hearings in an attempt not to say anything. I mean, he refused to say, which Gorsuch did, that it's not right to denigrate judges because of their ethnic background. He refused to say he would recuse himself from certain cases, even though other justices have agreed to that. Is there a fear that Trump could rescind the nomination if he hears something he doesn't like? Well, you know, that, that, that's an interesting question. There were reports that uh, Donald Trump at least discussed rescinding Gorsuch's nomination after he made those comments uh, about being disheartened about, about uh, uh, criticism of the judiciary or suggestions that a, a judge might uh, be influenced by his or her ethnic background. Uh, you know, I, I can't say what was motivating uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, you are right. He did. He was even more careful than than Neil Gorsuch was in in, in trying to stay out of those areas. Um, uh, you know, it did not give the Democrats the kind of answers that they wanted. But Democrats are powerless to to stop him, given the Republican control of the Senate. Now there were some 
unusual exchanges with Senator Kamala Harris about whether he talked with anyone at a law firm, Kazowitz, about the Mueller investigation. Did that end up going anywhere? Did Harris have any proof that he that he did talk to someone? Because it was really a point that was pushed and pushed. Yeah, if she had any proof, she didn't show it. Um, no, it seemed like on, on, on the first day of questioning, she seemed like she knew something. Uh, she was asking him. She had this idea in her head that... Uh, it, it seemed that maybe he had had an inappropriate conversation, and he was very wary about giving an answer. Uh, by day two, uh, he had identified one person in, in the firm that he, that he knows pretty well and said, no, I didn't have any conversations with him or, or anybody else at the firm about the Mueller investigation, and then that was the end of it. Now, Senator Cory Booker ignited a little bit of a firestorm there when it, he you know, said that he was trying to clarify where Kavanaugh stands on one of the one of his most controversial judicial decisions related to race. Where where do you see that he stands? Is it clear or it's ambiguous? Well, on the subject of race. So so uh, Senator Booker uh, was looking at a couple memos, a couple emails that Judge Kavanaugh wrote. Um, or, or series of emails that, that he wrote back when he was working in the Bush administration. Uh, one of them had to do with a case involving minority set-asides in, in federal contracting. Uh, and, and in that case, uh, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, then Mr. Kavanaugh used uh, language that made it pretty clear he was very skeptical about this program. He called it a, a na- naked racial set-aside. Um, on the other hand, the other document that, the other series that, that, that Booker was getting into had to do with racial profiling after 9-11 at airports. And there, what Judge Kavanaugh, um, uh, Brett Kavanaugh seemed to say, pretty clearly said, was that he was not on the side of using racial profiling uh, at airports, at least as a long-term measure. Um, He would rather find a race-neutral way to ensure that airports are safe. So it was in some ways a a mixed bag of of stuff that that emerged from those emails. Now, most people are saying that nothing really moved. No one moved in their positions on Kavanaugh. Does that include the two Republican female senators who are pointed at as possible votes for abortion? Yeah, they're, they're both saying they, they don't have a final decision yet. Uh, nothing uh, that they said indicated that they are uh, changing from where, where they've been, which is leaning towards uh, voting to confirm him. Uh, Senator Collins uh, did suggest that she was not especially bothered by another email that came out during this process in which uh, Brett Kavanaugh, while working at the White House, had uh, suggested some uh, some language be changed in a draft op-ed where originally it said that uh, legal experts uh, widely accept Roe v. Wade as as settled law. He suggested that um, you know, that's not quite a- accurate. There are a lot of legal experts who feel otherwise. Uh, but Susan Collins said she, uh, you know, what she'd heard about that, she wasn't particularly bothered. So every reason to think that they are uh, likely to vote to confirm him, and he will be confirmed. All right. Thanks so much, Greg. That's Greg Starr. He's the Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter. And of course, we know that uh, it has been said by Mitch McConnell that he hopes to have a vote on Kavanaugh before the new Supreme Court term starts. And that's always the first Monday in October. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.